Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. Good morning. Well, for those of you that don't know, that was a meme up there. That's actually a popular meme. Some people recognize it. I heard a few people laugh. I heard a few people go, what is that? But now you know. So uh, I don't know if you had to do this, but you've ever had to explain something uh, about history uh, to a five-year-old or about how things used to be. I was in the Costco cereal aisle recently with both my kids, which by the way, taking a five and a three-year-old to Costco is basically like saying, hey, let's go Let's go discipline our children in public. You want to go see what people do when we discipline our kids? You want to do that? I mean, like getting together with other couples even, like for like a play date is like, hey, you want to come over and discipline your kids in our basement? Or do you want to, we'll go over and discipline our kids in your living room? That's basically what it is. But anyway, so uh, we're there and we're making it through. But we get to the cereal aisle and I'm walking ahead of my daughter, Adeline, and, and I hear her say behind me, she goes, wow, daddy, look at all this dessert. <laughs> and I, I got down on one knee, I looked her in the eye, I said, oh, honey, when your daddy was a little boy, this was the most important meal of the day. This was breakfast. <laughs> Remember those commercials, like part of a complete breakfast, and there's like a cornucopia of vegetables surrounding this little bowl of cinnamon toast crunch. Like somehow that's a complete breakfast. But I said, don't worry. Also, you know, remember, Adeline, uh, we, we can now get movies by just clicking a button. And we used to have to, when I was a kid, we used to have to drive to a building and pick out a movie and bring it home to our house and then rewind it be kind, rewind, and take it back, or else you get fined more money. Isn't that wild? And there used to be phones that hung on walls with cords. And, and then you could only use the phone or the internet, but you couldn't do both. This is actually real life. We grew up like this. And so I explained that to her, and she kind of glossed over and, and just asked for more dessert. But, uh, you know, when you're explaining history to people, you kind of, it, it resets stuff. Even as the older you get, you look back on history and it kind of changes the way you see it. Uh, we're gonna go through today another hard saying of Jesus. And I want you to hear this, that when you look back on him in history, there is nobody like him. There is nobody in history that said these hard things that said such crazy things like, no one comes to God except through me, or I will be the judge of the world, I'll be the judge of the earth, so I'm gonna separate the sheep from the goats, and I'm the ultimate judge. No one in history got away with saying that stuff and then is looked back on with endearment. Like, everybody around the world, billions of people around the world for centuries look back on Jesus as this wonderful, loving, noble character who stood up for the poor, the destitute, and was just beat down by the power brokers of his day. They see him with this noble sense of cause, and he's a man of the people, and yet he said stuff that if anybody walking around town would say today, we'd either write him off as a lunatic or they would be an egomaniacal villain. And yet Jesus says these things, and yet history remembers him with endearment. Some scholars and theologians would argue that may be the one thing that separates Jesus above everybody, among a lot of things, and almost a proof that he's, he's the one. It's almost like subconsciously in the, in the historical consciousness, we want him to be the one. So I always say, this is, for me, this series, stuff like this, this is almost proof that Jesus is not only, was not only real, but was who he said he was, the Son of God. So let's dive into it. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9 today. Um, I, this, the first 
eight chapters of Luke, he's kind of answering one question. He's really answering the question, who is this Jesus? And in chapter nine, what happens is, is Peter answers that question. He says, you're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the, the Christ. And so everything from there on in Luke changes. It's all about what does it mean then that Jesus is the Christ? What does it actually mean? And there's three guys that come up to Jesus in succession. Actually, the middle one, Jesus goes to. And these all happen in rapid succession in Luke 9. And it's basically Luke's way of showing us what it means if Jesus is who he says he is, the Christ. So I'm going to read here in Luke 9, at the very end of this chapter, starting in verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to the other man, follow me. So this guy, he handpicks, he actually goes up to this guy, follow me. What Jesus did, he handpicked a few of his disciples. This guy wins that, that lottery, he gets picked by Jesus. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So why are these here? This is like rapid succession. Jesus is on his way, really. He's starting to make his way toward Jerusalem. But he's, he's in rapid succession, Luke records these, and, what, and they're hard sayings. I mean, this is like... People, I mean, the first guy, right? He really wants to serve. The other guys, I mean, letting the, I mean, burying your father, you probably should do that. That's gonna smell bad in a, in a not too distant future. And then the last guy just wants to say goodbye. What's wrong with that? Well, here, the first thing you need to hear about this is it's not, it's not the reasons they gave that Jesus has a problem with this. It's the heart behind their reasons. At the surface, which is what we look at, mankind, we look at the outside, God looks at the heart. And so I tell this to people all the time, listen, if you have a big decision in front of you, right now there's people in the room that have been weighing a big decision. And usually the big decision isn't, it's not like <clears throat> between like evil and good. It's not like, should I start an orphanage or rob a bank? Ah, oh, what should I do? I'm torn. I don't know what the right call is here. That's not usually what our decisions are. Usually it's like this job or that job. Move here or move here. Move in or move out. You know, it, it, it's just stuff like that. It's, it, it's not bad and good. It's just they're both good. Which one should I do? These things on the outside, they're all good things. But the heart behind it. Look, I have made decisions in my life. And people on the outside will look at and they'll say, that was a very Christian thing to do, Brian. That was a very godly thing to do. And I made the decision for all the wrong reasons, all the selfish ones. And in God's economy, which is all that matters, it's a donut hole, it's zero, nothing. Doesn't matter what people think. People look on the outside. Doesn't matter what they think. On the inside, my heart was in the wrong place. I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. In God's economy, that's a zero on the balance sheet. I've made other decisions that are really bad. <laughs> like, like people say, that was a dumb call. But I made it simply because I wanted to honor the Lord. I wanted to make much of him. I wanted to serve him. I really thought, as best I could, that was to honor the Lord. And in God's economy, that's what he wants, the heart. So I tell people, I say, listen, you got a big decision to make, and you don't know which ones are going to be. 
And, and the truth is, not making a decision is a decision. So you gotta make one. Time's gonna be up. If you don't like it, that's the way God made it. We live in a 24-hour period. Time's gonna be up. You have to make a decision. Not making a decision is a decision. So when you get to that crossroad, you gotta make a decision. I say, go into a room, close a door, and get with God. And even if you're like, God, I don't know which one's right for my family, for my career, for my business, or whatever. I don't know which one. They're both good. I followed the process that scripture gives us, which is a seek wise counsel, right? Your plans that you're planning to fail for lack of many wise counselors. So that's people who love you and know you and love God. Those are the people that are on your wise counsel list, people that love you and love God. You've done that and they're kind of like, man, they're both good. You've used your rational intellect that God gave you. He gave you a rational mind. He expects you to use it and you've used it and you're just, you're still kind of 60, 40. You may not know, you, you gotta tell God, this is what you say in your prayer, God, I don't know exactly which one of these are gonna be best for me or my situation, my family. But I can know my motives. And right now, as I make this decision, Lord, I want you to know that everything in me wants to honor and worship you with my life. And the moment you make it clear that this job or this decision isn't gonna do that, I will U-turn it, Lord. I will go the other way. But until then, I'm just gonna keep, I'm gonna make a decision here and I'm gonna let you know my motive is to serve you and honor you and give, give my life to you as a sacrifice. So that's the motive for me making this decision. And if you can be honest with yourself about that, it might even make the decision clear. You may not know all how it's gonna work out, but you can know your motives. And that's what, God, that's what Jesus is looking at here. That's what Jesus is actually dealing with. And we don't see those motives on the front side of this, on their, just their statements of why they aren't gonna or, or are gonna follow Jesus. But we can see their motives in Jesus' response. So let's look at guy number one. So you know, guy number one here, he's the one that actually wants to follow Jesus. He says, I'll go wherever you want. But what Jesus, tell, what Jesus tells us here in his response and what Jesus sees is this guy, is, he doesn't wanna follow Jesus for Jesus' sake. He wants to follow Jesus because he's wrapped up in the allure and the, the illusion, really, of, of significance and heroism and just being a part of something meaningful. I want to change the world. I want to do something great. I want, to, I want to win. He wants to win. And Jesus sees his motivation for following Jesus is actually not Jesus. And so how, did, how Jesus deals with that is he kind of gets out in front of him. He doesn't try and talk him out of following Jesus or himself. He tries to get him to realize his real motive. You see, Jesus says something about foxes not having dens, birds not having a nest, or birds having a nest, but the Son of Man is homeless. It doesn't mean becoming a Christian is gonna make you homeless. It's not, what, it's not like you gotta sell your house to be a real Christian. He's saying, listen, you're gonna follow me and you're gonna invite conflict into your life. You know, you're gonna live like a foreigner here. Like, this ain't your home. You know, because I'm going to ask you to forgive people that your friends and the rest of the world is going to tell you, you don't forgive them. Not after what they did to you. You don't need to forgive them. And I'm going to tell you to forgive them. I'm going to tell you to love people that persecute you. I'm going to tell you to bless people. Pray for those that persecute you. The rest of the world is going to say, don't bless those people. Don't pray for them. They hurt you after what they did to you. You know, the rest of the world is going to say, get out of that marriage. You're not happy. And I'm going to say, God hates divorce. That's what he's going to say. I want you to stay committed in that marriage. You know, I'm gonna say things about your sexuality. I'm gonna say things about your finances. You're gonna have to give to causes that the world would say, what does a church even do? What's even going on there? Just changing hearts, changing lives? Is that a worthy cause to give to? 
And I'm not saying give, be generous, tithe. You know, these are the things that are gonna make you feel like this ain't your home. You're gonna live following Jesus in a way that's gonna make you feel like your home is not here. You're homeless here. Your home is up there. Are you ready for that? Have you counted the cost? Listen, realize this, okay, realize this. Jesus is the embodiment. He is checking all the boxes on the moral scorecard. He's doing everything right of somebody that's gonna change the world, have significance, follow God 100%. He's doing all the right things. He's doing it all perfectly. And he dies penniless, friendless, homeless, graveless, justiceless. He's doing everything that you think you want to do to make a difference and change the world and be a good person, and he's lost everything. He's the embodiment of that. He's saying, look at me. Is it, are you ready for this? Here's the thing. If you don't see the cost, you've committed to the wrong king and the wrong kingdom. If it's all just going to be great, if someone tries to tell you a Christianity without tears, it's not Christianity. There's tears. This is, this is hard to hear, but Jesus is being honest. He's not a politician. He's not going to promise you a whole bunch of stuff on the campaign trail and then leave you and, uh, when he gets elected. That's not Jesus. He's going to be honest. He's going to say, listen, I'm not trying to talk you out of it, but you got to know you're signing up for the wrong mission and you're going to quit. Unless you know, unless you sign up with me and you know what you're counting. Are you ready for this? Do you want to follow Jesus? Maybe some of you today, that's where you got to start. Do I want this? Do you want to follow Jesus? A hundred percent. Let me just, let's leave a moment. Just let that question sit in your heart for a second. Do I want to follow Jesus? A hundred percent. And as I do that, become increasingly homeless in this world. See, the next two guys, um, they have a different problem. The second guy, you know, this is the guy who says, uh, let me bury my dad. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't hear that, and the people listening around him, they didn't hear that. And the ancient reader reading Luke as an ancient Jew, excuse me, they didn't hear that. What they heard was this guy saying, hey, listen, um, uh, my dad's not dead yet, but he's dying soon. So I'm gonna let's well, let me wait till he dies. Okay, that's what they heard, and that's what's real. He's what he's not saying is just you know in context. He's not saying there's a stinking body in my living room. Let me just put it underground. <laughs> I'll be right there. That's not what he's saying. You see, it's hard for us to understand this because in the ancient world, and particularly in the Middle East, and in this time, um, in a patriarchal society, the father's approval, having the honor of the family name. And, and having the inheritance that comes down from the father, all of that, that's everything, okay? They didn't live on Amazon Prime where they could get by with stuff getting shipped to their door. Their family was their means of survival. Their family was their honor and their shame. Their, you know, it was their biggest thing. So you have to kind of translate that into your world. So the way I would help you do that is like, for you, what is like your worst nightmare? Like, I'll follow Jesus, but man, I hope he doesn't send me here or doesn't ask me to like live, go from like this standard of living to like this standard of living. Like whatever your worst fear is, that's like losing the honor and the shame of the family name. 
losing the honor of the family name and the inheritance. And so what he's saying is, he's saying, can my dad just die? Because I'll have, you know, I'll get the inheritance and I will, you know, don't bring shame upon him because I don't, he, he's, Jesus is this radical youth pastor. You know, he's got all these teenagers following him. He's the first youth pastor, really. He's got all these teenagers following him, young adults. He's off, he's this kind of rogue rabbi. He's getting in trouble with all the, the established religious leaders of the day. So this is probably gonna cost this guy a lot of honor to follow Jesus. He's saying, can I have that? Can I just wait till my dad dies? That's what he's saying. And what Jesus says next might be the hardest thing to hear. This might be the hardest. He says, let the dead bury the dead. He's not talking about physically dead. He's not saying let the physically dead people raised from the dead and bury the physically dead people. He's not saying that. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, let the spiritually dead people bury the dead. What he's saying is, he's saying, listen, I've, I've called you. I've, I've actually went up and said, would you follow me? You're gonna change and alter the course of history. I'm calling you. And if you're gonna hesitate for a minute, or if you're gonna hold on to even like 1% of something, you're not just mostly alive. You're not most of the way there. You are 100% dead. I mean, think of, oh, these guys, they both have kind of a, but, but first, but first, let me just do this one thing, just this one thing. I'm all in. I just have to bury him. I'm all in. I just have to say goodbye. It's just the one thing. And Jesus knows what you and I really know in our hearts is whatever that one thing is, that's your God. No matter how small it is. Your reputation, your finances, your time and your schedule, your lifestyle, your sexuality, whatever you believe that to be, your beliefs about that, whatever that one thing is, that's really God. And you're not even alive, you're not even mostly alive, but you're dead. And here's what he's also saying. Anything that you put in front of me that's not me is gonna kill you. I'm the only thing that gives life. I'm the only thing that, that brings life. Put to you this way, I, uh, I was at a fancy restaurant not too long ago with, uh, with my wife and another couple. And we were there and the, uh, the guy uh, orders a steak and this was a triple digit steak. It was a good steak. My respect for him went way up. I mean, that's, that's a really big deal. So go for it, man. And uh, it was, a, you know, Wagyu beef ribeye. I mean, it was just these, these cows are like massaged uh, before they die. I think, I think that's a real thing. <clears throat> they better have been for this price. But he, he, gets, uh, he gets a steak cooked to perfection, medium, right? Just perfect. Guy sets it, the waiter sets it down and asks, can I get you anything else? And he looks at the steak and he points to it and he says, do you have any ketchup for this? <laughs> that's the last time I had lunch with Pastor Brandon Hillstead <laughs> I'm just kidding it wasn't him here's the thing if Jesus Christ 
God himself in the flesh, staring you eyeball to eyeball, says, I got plans for your life. I got plans for you. I want you to follow me. We're going to do things that don't just change the world. They're going to change the course of humanity. They're going to change eternity for people. And you hesitate for a minute for, for anything. You're not even most of the way. You don't even get it at all. See, the first guy's problem was this. He didn't count the cost. So he wasn't really signing up for the real Jesus. The second guys, this, both of them, they don't see the benefit. They don't see the incredible honor and the glory of God and the, and the invitation to be a part of it. If you don't see the benefits, you've committed to the wrong king and the wrong kingdom. You, you don't count the benefit. If you don't see how incredible Jesus is and the invitation he has, you're not going to even start. You're not going to finish if you don't count the cost because you'll be on the wrong path. You'll be following the wrong Jesus in the first place. But if you don't see the benefit, you're not even going to take that first step. You're going to always have what's called a but first. Something is blocking your view of the cross. See, that last guy, this last guy is going to give you the answer. To how, do, how do we do this? You know, how do we actually do this? The last guy is the same problem, right? The, um, the family issue. And uh, he you know, says, I got to say farewell. Another way of saying, let me get my family on board with this. You know, that's his but first. He's like, I want to follow you, but I also want my, the reputation of my family. Can I have both? I want to follow you, but I also want to live at a certain lifestyle and a certain standard of living. I want to follow you, Jesus, but don't ask for this. Now, listen, some people, he won't ask for that. They will be, they'll live there at a certain place, and their calling is to live there. But some people, he will. He'll put his finger on it and say, I want you to go down a notch. I want you to be more generous. I want you to give away more of your time. And yeah, your job's going to suffer for it, but I want more of your time for the kingdom. And if we say to God, look, can I have both? What he says is to this guy, he says, anybody that's not fit, what does he say? He says, he says anybody, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. He's saying this, when you're plowing, you know, in a field, you're doing one furrow at a time. I mean, this isn't like John Deere. There's not like rows of stuff. You know, it's, a, it's one at a time. And it's hard work. I mean, it's, it's, but here's the thing. If you look this way, if you look that way, if you start looking around, right, you know this. If you cut grass, like I cut my own grass. I gotta, I gotta look out ahead. If I'm looking even straight down, I'm gonna do this. You have to look out ahead. You have to stay focused on the future. You gotta keep looking of where you're gonna be and that'll keep you straight. If you're looking around, you're not gonna know how bad it is. This is the, this is the really nefarious part about not following Jesus. If you're looking around at like your career, a relationship, uh, a status, a reputation, a net worth, whatever it is, and you're looking there, this is, this is reality. You won't know how bad it is until the harvest. You, you won't know you're doing this until you get, you get back. You, you, the rain comes, it's watering, and nothing's coming up out of that ground. Look, there are two kinds of people in the room right now. There are people that are doing this. They're looking around. They're trying to have Jesus and everything. They come on Sunday and they look at Jesus and then Monday through Saturday they do this. 
They're looking and wandering around at all this other stuff. Or they're looking at Jesus Monday through Friday, and then Friday night and Saturday night are theirs. Their weekends are theirs, so they're looking around at all the other stuff they do on the weekend. And then they come back, and they try to focus. And listen, this is what they're doing. And you won't know how bad it is until harvest. The other kind of person in the room is there. They are behind the plow. And it's hard. I mean, look, I've never plowed a field, but I know you're behind an animal, and animals do things, and you have to step in those things because you're behind the animal, right? It's hard. There's dirt. There's, you don't see any fruit of your labor. It's just dirt. You're just going up and down, tilling dirt, and you're ready to quit. And God here is this morning. He's telling you, look at me. Look at me. Look at the benefits. You, they're not here right now. It's not the harvest time. It's coming, though. And if you stay the course, an untold amount of glory and benefit is coming your way. Look, sin has pleasure that lasts this long and sometimes payment that'll go the rest of your life. Following Jesus, it's the opposite. There's payment up front. It's hard to follow Jesus. You're usually saying no to what you want. But there is a pleasure and a hope that'll last the rest of your life. Listen, this is so important. I want you to hear this. Um, a calling on your life is always both of these things. Cost, and a, there's, there's a blessing. I put it to you this way. Following the kingdom, following Jesus the king, will both bruise you and bless you. You know, if you're a leader, leaders in the room, if you're a CEO, if you're a, if you're a vice president, if, you're a, if you run your own business, if you're a leader... Um, I'm going to just talk to you for a second. I want you to, just so you can understand this. Remember when you used to want that job? You know, remember when you used to be like, that would be the easy street right there. If I could get that, I could run my own business, be in charge. You ever have people that come up to you and they're like, I want to lead. I want to do what you do. I want to be a leader. I want to be a leader. Can I lead that? I get people all the time. I want to be the senior pastor. I want to, I want to be on the elder board. I want to run the thing. I want to be a leader. Can I please, please, please? I really want to. I'll follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. I really want to do it. And you go, no, I don't think you get it. There is a cost to this. I think you're signing up for the wrong thing. You're not really wanting this. Because you know, leaders, you know, there's a special loneliness at the top. There's a special suffering, a sacrifice you have to make. You have to give up things to do it. And if you don't get that, you're not fit to lead. But then there's people, right, that maybe as a leader, you've gone up to and said, hey, you should do this. You should lead this thing. You should run this part of the business. You should do this, right? You should lead this thing. I said, but you, you have a pastor. And people go, they look at you like, that's terrifying. I, I, okay, I guess, I, I guess so. But, but first, can I go do a little bit? But first, can I do something else? I mean, I don't know. That just sounds terrifying. I don't know. But if you say so, I'll do it. And I, I go, you know what? Nah. That's not a call. That's not a call on your life. It's always both and. It's always Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, Father, if there's another way than the cross, let this cup pass. Like, if there's another way, can we do it another way? Not my will. I have a will, and it's not the cross. But not my will, but yours be done. Meaning I have a deeper will than my will. And it's actually to do your will, whatever that is. I have to do it. I must do it. Right? That's what leadership is. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Is there's a sense of this is going to sting. This is going to hurt. Look, I, I, to, be, to be true to the scripture, I can't invite you to be a part of our church, be a member of our church, talking about membership, without telling you, like, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you time. 
You're gonna have to pray for your church. You're gonna have to pray for your leaders. You're gonna have to give and serve. You're gonna have to tithe. I mean, it's gonna cost you to be here. It is, and that's just the truth. That's what Jesus says. But listen, listen. If you're called to it, you're gonna say, but I gotta do it. I gotta do it. I gotta try this thing. I gotta go for it. Because there's a calling, a deeper thing than just what you want to do. It's what you want him to, it's what you, it's what he wants to do. This is maybe the best way to understand this. If you could get your uh, communion cups ready. If you want, I'm going to invite the band to come up. They're going to, they're going to play and then they're going to take communion with us. Um, I was in Israel about five years ago, and uh, five or six years ago, and I was at one of the places where they're 100% certain Jesus was. You know, there's a lot of places where they're like kind of sure, and then there's places where they're like, you know, 100% sure. This is one of those. And I was there, and I kind of got away from the group, and I just, I, I just looking at where Jesus would have been, where they know he was, where he taught. And I remember just, I remember sitting there, and I started talking to Jesus. I said, Jesus. If I was in that audience, I was born and I was born 2,000 years ago and I was in that audience listening to you teach, would I, have, would I have been one of the ones that like left everything and followed you and realized I was eyeball to eyeball with the living God? Would I have done that? And you know, Jesus talked back to me and he doesn't, you don't hear voices. He brings back a rush of his word, things he's already said back to memory at the right time. It all comes back to memory and I could hear him say, Brian, I am still on that hill. I'm still there. And my invitation is the same. I'm still there. I'm still making the invitation to follow me and put everything else second. The call is still there. The cost is still there. And the benefits of being a part of something that will alter people's eternities is still on the table. And the decision is still yours. Will you follow me? We're going to take communion. I want you to never take communion the same after today. I'm going to read to you Luke's account of... Luke chapter 22. This is Luke's account of communion. And I want you to hear this differently. Here it is. He took the bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body let me say that again. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We read that and we think he's talking about bread. That's not bread. That's not bread that he's breaking. What is it? It's a symbol. It's pointing you to something. It's a symbol of his body. So then when he tells you, when he tells you to do it, what's he doing? He's not telling you to get up tomorrow morning, go to your pantry, pull out a loaf of bread, and break it. 
and just, I broke the bread, Lord, like you told me to do. That's not what, no, he's saying break your life. Break your body. Give thanks to God for it. And then give it. Break it and give it away to people. Give it away for the kingdom. Give it away. Break your life. That's what he's telling you to do. And he says, do it often. Break your life. That's what it is to follow Jesus. It's to break your life. But he tells you how to do it in remembrance of me, the cross. You can't do that. You can't give your life away until you know how much you have in him. You can't give your finances away. Listen, if, if someone picks your pocket for a 20 and you're a trillionaire, what does it matter to you? You are a spiritual trillionaire. And in this life, people are going to take stuff. People are going to hurt you. People are going to need things. And you're here to give. Why? Because you have everything you, you need in Jesus. You, your love, this is what will happen to you. I know you're hearing today how hard it is to follow Jesus, but this is the truth. When you see and do in remembrance, everything you do is in remembrance of what you have in Christ. When you see the benefits, when you see what you have in Jesus at the cross, his forgiveness for you, this is what happens. Your joy goes up when you give your life to the king. When you give and break your life away for the king, your joy goes up. You know, that's how you really know you love somebody. It's not when they give you pleasure and that you just want pleasure from them. It's when you take pleasure out of giving them pleasure. That's when you're really in love with someone. That's what you do. That's what Jesus is inviting you into. And he knows you can't give your life away until you see what he did for you at the cross. Paul puts it like this. The apostle Paul puts it like this in Romans 12. He says, make your life a living killing a living sacrifice. It's always trying to crawl off the altar. But he says this, this is your reasonable, rational act of worship. You want to get logical? You want to be reasonable with your life? You want to use your rational brain when it comes to your life? Look at what you have in Jesus and then give your whole life away to him. And anything south of that, you're dead. Spiritually, you're dead. So I want to invite you here to remember to stare into the broken body of Jesus for you. So let's remember this together. Let's remember he took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's do this together, church. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's remember this this cup together poured out for you and for me. Let's remember it together. Heavenly Father, we have heard today the high cost that it will be should some of us in this room decide to follow you and give you our lives. But Lord, it is a reasonable price to pay when we remember 
all that we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.